This week, a lawsuit filed by Chicago attorneys made national news. The parents of one of the young men shot and killed by Kyle Rittenhouse during protests last summer, actually in August, sued the city of Kenosha, the sheriff and the police, accusing them of facilitating Rittenhouse's attacks. And with us to discuss this lawsuit is John Lovey from the Chicago law firm of Lovey & Lovey, the largest private law firm entirely devoted to the civil rights um, in the whole country. He is really Really, truly one of the most successful trial attorneys in the nation. I have been a fan of John's and his firm for many years. He's won jury verdicts of at least a million dollars in more than 20 separate jury trials, nearly all of them involving extremely challenging fact patterns. Uh, he's won on five occasions jury verdicts in excess of $20 million and Loby's largest the jury verdict was $100 million uh, against Cook County, the most successful civil rights um, uh, lawsuit uh, in the nation. Thank you so much for, oh, I just, I just, uh, I like him so much that I hung up on him. Um, hi, John, how are you? There you are. I'm still here. Hello. I, I was, I was g- giving you such a glowing thing, I hit the wrong button. How are you, John? Everything's good with me, Karen. How about you? I'm doing well. Um, Let's talk about this lawsuit. Can you set the stage for what uh, this lawsuit is about and remind our listeners of what happened uh, during those protests in Kenosha? Sure. I mean, you got to back up to last August, almost uh, two years ago to the day, August 23rd, uh, the police shot uh, Jacob Blake, who was a father with his children, uh, getting into the car, he was unarmed, and uh, the people in Kenosha were angry. And they took to the streets, and there were protests, and, you know, that was not an uncommon uh, situation that summer. People were angry, and they wanted to make their uh, dissatisfaction known. And the city enacted a curfew and uh, uh, tried to keep order and did what, you know, the police are supposed to do. They did their best to uh, maintain order. But the word got out uh, that some sort of militia groups wanted to come to town and assist. So to be clear, we're not talking about business owners protecting their property. We're talking about many people from out of state came to Kenosha armed and frankly, some of them looking for, you know, looking for trouble. So the police uh, enacted a curfew. You weren't allowed to be out after 10 o'clock, but what the police decided to do was allow this, this uh, civilian militia essentially to uh, participate in uh, the act of policing. So they, uh, when they encountered these armed people who had come out, instead of uh, enforcing the curfew, instead of disarming them or you know making sure people were lawfully armed, they basically treated them as allies, and uh, you know basically uh, allowed them to mete out justice as they saw fit. So about we've all heard about Kyle Rittenhouse now. Uh, he is a 17-year-old from Antioch who uh, somehow got his hands on an AR-15, uh, basically a military weapon. Uh, and came to Kenosha in the face of, uh, of protests and citizens uh, exercising their right to, you know, assemble and protest. And he got his gun and, and joined the streets and decided he was going to be uh, the enforcer of, uh, of justice. And there's video of the police encountering Mr. Rittenhouse about 15 minutes before he murdered some people. And uh, they say right on the video, we appreciate what you guys are doing. We really do. They offer him water. Uh, This is a 17-year-old carrying an assault weapon, which is illegal. Uh, And, you know, uh, he should have been treated as a criminal and someone committing a crime. Instead, he was essentially deputized by the police to keep order. And short time after, uh, he shot and killed a guy and then uh, killed another guy. And our client, uh, Mr. Huber, is essentially a hero. 
Uh, he attempted to disarm Mr. Rittenhouse so that further uh, bloodshed wouldn't happen and more people wouldn't be killed. And while he attempted to do so, he was shot in the chest and killed. So he died a hero's death. Another man shortly thereafter tried to uh, disarm Huber as well, came up to Huber with his arms up, and he you know, was just like, dude, what are you doing? And that guy, too, got shot in the arm. And uh, at that point, uh, Rittenhouse is you know, running. He has murdered people, and he encounters the police again, and uh, they let him go. They let him walk away. This is the guy who has murdered people in cold blood, uh, and he goes home. So uh, there's more to the story, but that's sort of the overview for you, Karen. Uh, we are suing the Kenosha Police Department, former police chief and the, uh, and the sheriff of the county, alleging that they uh, are partly responsible for what happened to Mr. Huber because they created the conditions for uh, the injustice to occur by deputizing this mob, essentially, and allowing armed teenagers to uh, you know pretend like they're in a video game they caused our client's death. So that's the overview of the lawsuit. So why do you think this happened? Do you think this was a concerted effort by the police to allow this to happen? Or do you think there was just such lawlessness that night that the police just held back and, and kind of put their hands down and didn't do anything? Because it's such kind of an unprecedented thing to do for the police not to try to get order, not, you know, not picking sides on any situation, not saying to the protesters, we're going to, we're going to arrest all the protesters and the counter protesters, we're going to let walk around with assault rifles. I mean, how did this happen from what you know? That's exactly what they did. I mean, they, they picked sides. The counter protesters are also violating the curfew. The counter protesters are armed. The counter protesters have no more rights to be out there uh, enforcing their vision of what is justice than the protesters. And the police did ally themselves with the uh, the militia types and did allow them to do what they were going to do. And I think, you know, one of the aspects of the case that can't be ignored and that has been picked up by the media and others is the counter-protesters were largely white and the protesters were largely black. So... There is a there's an allegation in your complaint that says that a former alderman in Kenosha, I think I have this right, actually um, was kind of in, sounds to me like was almost involved in the organization or at least knew that these militia type people were coming into the city. Can you tell us about that allegation? Well, him and others, you know, uh, this was a you know a premeditated plan in the sense that Rittenhouse didn't just show up. There was a call for people to come and there was on the social media there was racist language and there was you know uh anti-protester anti-black lives matter rhetoric and that was sort of the rallying call that brought these people to town and uh, this apparently this alderman uh was indirectly or directly involved in it and your client is the family of mr huber tell me a little bit about him how old uh was he when he died uh he is a, a young man and uh you know, absolutely doing nothing that could have justified being killed. And now his entire life is is taken from him. The uh, trial of Rittenhouse, I believe, is scheduled for November. Is that is that what you're uh, that you're understanding? Uh, I'm not sure, actually, when he's going to. Okay. And how does this lawsuit impact that criminal case, if if at all? I think they're going on parallel tracks and and don't necessarily uh, relate to each other. If Mr. Rittenhouse is convicted, as uh, he very likely will be, then uh, that that fact won't be subject to dispute in future litigation. 
Uh, but this is really a different theory against a different set of defendants. Right. It, it makes sense. Uh, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about some of your other uh, wrongful conviction work and whistleblower cases and uh, and wrap up this conversation. Uh, John Lovey from the law firm of Lovey & Lovey, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in a minute. We're talking to John Lovey of Lovey & Lovey. Um, John, let's... Uh, We were talking a little bit about the lawsuit that uh, your firm brought against uh, the city of Kenosha. How will this lawsuit play out? Like, what what is the next step uh, in the lawsuit, and what kinds of um, facts will you have to get your hands around, and how how will this kind of play out? Sure. Well, we've now filed it, and then the next step is that the defendants have to answer, which means they either, you know, admit or deny the individual allegations. They'll likely raise a defense that the theory is novel and uh, isn't supported by the law. That's that's the position they'll take. And we will have to uh, persuade the judge, as I believe we will, that the law supports a theory of liability where uh, the city of Kenosha can be held accountable for the actions of these uh, militia members because of the ratification and you know condoning of their acts. But the, the city will get a chance to make a defense that the theory doesn't work, and we will defend the position that it does. John, you know, I watched you over the years, and you've brought lots of different lawsuits in different contexts, whistleblower cases, civil rights, wrongful convictions, police brutality, uh, all kinds of cases. Um, can you tell our listeners, I mean, you are in a position, you've you've had huge jury verdicts, you've made a lot of money for a lot of people, and I think some of your lawsuits have actually changed the way things are done in and around uh, Chicago and, and in the state. What? How do you choose your cases now? How, as you look at the facts of a case, how how is it that you face? You know, do is this something that I want my firm to get involved in? Well, I feel really lucky and privileged that uh, we get to answer that question by saying, you know, are we on the side of justice? So we take cases where we feel that this is where we want to devote our legal talents and time, and are we making the world better? Are we making more justice in the world? And we are, you know, although we've been successful, we are not a purely profit-maximizing firm like I think you would associate with maybe personal injury or some other kinds of law firms. Some law firms just, you know, take paying clients that they'll pay the bills. Uh, We are uh, trying to uh, pick cases that align with our values, align with what we're trying to do. They don't necessarily all uh, equate to big damages. Some of them are small damage cases. Uh, Some of them are about principle. Some of them are about... Uh, different kinds of justice, whether it's environmental justice or, you know, different kinds of civil rights. Uh, but we pick cases where uh, it aligns with what we're trying to do. John, you had a case that w- there was a $100 million verdict. Can you tell our uh, listeners a little bit about that case, when that was, and uh, who, who it was against and what the facts were? Well, that was super interesting. Uh, we sued uh, the Cook County for a strip search policy. The Supreme Court had made it very clear that you're not allowed to strip search uh, people without reasonable suspicion and such. And at the time, the Cook County uh, authorities just apparently hadn't read the law or didn't understand the law, and nobody was questioning it. But uh, it was a massive class action. Many, many people in Cook County were affected, and we got a, a large, large settlement. And one of, the, uh, one of the terms of the settlement was, in addition to payments for everybody who had been strip searched improperly, and a strip search is a very demeaning, dehumanizing experience, an unnecessary strip search you know, is something that uh, should have been avoided. But one of the terms of the settlement was the county assigned to us, the lawyers to the class, the right to chase the insurance companies, which had refused to pay. And uh, usually you don't think insurance companies would want to go to a jury trial, particularly in Cook County. 
but we were essentially deputized by Cook County in you know what's called a a, a key tam case or you know uh, uh, even a whistleblower uh, type category of case where we were pursuing the rights of the county which had been assigned to the class that they should have uh, the insurance company should have paid up instead of making the county pay up and the jury in our case got mad at the insurance company for not having honored its obligations and really whacked them so the class. In addition to recovering from the county, like something like $40 million for the strip searches, also recovered a good portion of the verdict against the insurance company because we took that risk, we took on the case. So it ended up being very lucrative for uh, for the people who were involved. It's interesting. And so, you know, I, again, I'm going to, I'm here, you know, a lot of people who don't like lawyers uh, or they think lawyers are always in it for the money or, what, you know, all of those stereotypes that we hear all the time. Are, I hear people out there maybe saying, oh, this guy's all about the money. He's, you know, he's just get, getting money and, and he's costing the taxpayers a lot of money. We've got crime in the city. What's he doing? Tell me about how these kinds of lawsuits that you bring, these civil rights cases that are kind of, you know, whistleblower, the big category of cases that you say you bring to to get justice. How do they change the way things are done and make life more fair for the people? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to address that. Uh, You know, our civil court system is justice. It's designed for compensation for people who've been injured. So if you're in a car crash, somebody you know, kills, kills someone you love or causes you injury, you can go to civil court and say, I've been wronged. I'd like justice and I'd like compensation for my injuries. That's the way justice is uh, served is, you know, you can't give somebody back their injury, but you can decide a dollar amount decided by the community, decided by the jury, what's fair compensation. So that's a, actually a you know, pretty bedrock part of our judicial system is that people file lawsuits all the time. They file business lawsuits saying I got injured in business. They file personal injury lawsuits. This is just another species of the same exact thing. I was wrong. My constitutional rights were violated, and I would like compensation. So if someone was wrongfully convicted and spent three decades in prison, they're no less entitled to justice than somebody who suffered a business injury. And if someone was shot and killed by the police, they're no less entitled than somebody who uh, had gotten a truck crash. So lawsuits are not inherently evil. And you know, the fact that people are seeking justice for something that's very terrible that's happened, I'm shouldn't bother people from a comp- compensation standpoint. I guess the reason our cases draw scrutiny is because they're not paid generally by insurance companies or, or corporations or even people. They're paid by the government because the wrongdoers in our species of cases are police officers and they're indemnified by cities and towns and counties and states. So that attracts some scrutiny and indeed some criticism. Uh, but you know, what's the alternative? There would be no accountability. If people could get shot or wrongfully convicted or beat up and they couldn't go to court and try to get justice, then uh, there'd be a pretty strong argument that you'd see a lot more of that behavior. So doubling back to the other part of your question, you know, does it change anything? I believe it does. You know, the city of Chicago has a problem with civil verdicts and civil uh, judgments that's bigger than many other cities, including those its size. And I think that it has created pressure among the aldermen and the mayor to say, hey, let's do something about this. This is impractical. Why do we want to keep getting whacked with judgments? Maybe we can actually reform the way we do things. Maybe we can actually professionalize the police department, make changes that will expose us to less liability. And I'll tell you this, Karen, I can't think of any other way to get their attention because they're not going to fix it themselves. They're not going to police the police just because people ask them nicely. Uh, Hitting them in the pocketbook is probably the best and only way 
to get them to reform. Well, and, and that isn't that kind of the ironic truth. And, and you look at something like the John Burge decades of uh, police brutality. And uh, did, I'm sure you had at least one of those cases, John, right? Uh, we've had uh, more than any other firm and in fact just filed uh two recently the the problem continues yeah so you've got a guy who's doing these things so for so many years resulting in so many uh wrongful conv- confessions and wrongful convictions and people spending decades in jail costing the city millions and millions of dollars i mean do, have you ever figured out how much john burge has actually caused the city well it is in excess of 100 million when you add up all of the different uh plaintiffs who have, uh, you know, suffered tragically due to his misconduct. But, you know, he has, you know, become something of a symbol for the problem, but it is not one man causing the problem by any stretch. It was a problem in the police department in that era and continuing into others with other groups of police officers where, unfortunately, uh, they weren't as concerned about getting the guilty person. They were just more trying to close cases. And they used methods like coercing confessions, uh, manipulating witnesses, withholding exculpatory information. That is not isolated examples. I mean, there is a genuine and real problem that has been recurring, and it has caused genuine and real injuries. People are, you know, had their lives destroyed, and those people are going to court, and they're getting justice. And I think we shall be proud that we live in a country where if that happens to you, you can get justice. But it's not just John Burge, Karen. I mean, there, there are even continuing today, there's the, the Watts cases where this group of police officers, uh, they got indicted by the feds for basically engaging in like training day behavior. If you ever seen the movie where they were just terrorizing this public housing project, shaking down people, uh, robbing people. And there's uh, our firm was responsible for more than 200 exonerations, mass exonerations, because this stuff was so corrupt. John, this is far more, far more reason. Let, let's can you quickly give out your contact information. Uh, I'm John Lovey. Uh, the law firm is called Lovey and Lovey. We can be found on the internet. It's L O E E is in Edward V is in Victor Y Lovey and Lovey Lovey dot com. John, and, uh, thank you so much yeah. for joining us, and and uh, good luck on all your pursuits. I have a lot of respect for you and your law firm. You take care of yourself. Thank you, Karen. All right, John, take care.